Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This evening we're going to be in 2 Kings 10. And what we saw last time was God raise up King Jehu to institute justice. It was many, many years of, and it's really sad because the Israelites, God's people, um, it just, the, the kingdom divided, the people were separated. They were supposed to set the example to the world back then, and they couldn't even set an example, they couldn't even stay unified in their kingdoms. So you had Israel in the north and Judah in the south, and usually the southern kings were, were mostly good. You had a few bad apples, but there really wasn't any good kings in the north. And what happened was you had the north and the south at this particular time. If you grew up under this, it was depressing. You know, just idol worship, demon worship, crazy stuff that went on. And you've heard, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you've heard of Jezebel. <laughs> so Queen Jezebel's in here too. And Jehu institutes justice. He kills both kings and her. And he's kind of on a roll here. So we're going to see, this is almost kind of like part two, because chapters 9 and chapter 10 come together. So I'm trying, giving you some context here. But Jehu takes his mandate from the Lord, and then he takes it too far. You know, God says, do this. And he said, I'm going to do this, but then I'm going to do that too. And even today on a lesson, and here's the other thing, he says, oh, it's my zeal for the Lord, the Lord told me to do this, and it's funny because several thousand years later, we hear this on a lesser scale, sometimes in the church. People do things they shouldn't do, their behavior, their plans, you know they didn't consult with the Lord because it's, what they're doing is completely antagonistic, antithetical to scripture, but they'll see things like, God told me. <laughs> Yeah, and some say it a lot, and it's almost like a way of saying, don't question me, don't talk to me about it, I've already made up my mind. Because if you say God told me, then how can you argue with that? You're arguing with God. But sometimes people deceive themselves, and, and Jehu is one of those people, as we'll see. So starting in verse 1, 2 Kings 10, it says, Now Ahab, King Ahab, he's deceased at this point, had 70 sons most likely sons and grandsons, in Samaria. And Jehu wrote letters and sent them to Samaria, to the rulers of Jezreel, and to the elders, and all those who reared Ahab's sons, saying, Now as soon as this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, and you have chariots and horses, a fortified city also, and weapons, choose the best qualified of your master's sons, set him on his father's throne, and fight for your master's house. But they were exceedingly afraid and said, Look, two kings couldn't stand up to him. How then can we stand? And he who is in charge of the house and he who is in charge of the city, the elders also and those who reared the son sent to Jehu. They send him a letter back saying, We are your servants. We will do all you tell us, but we will not make anyone king. Do what is good in your sight. Then he, Jehu, wrote a second letter to them, saying, If you are for me and you will obey my voice, take the heads of the men, your master's sons, and come meet me at Jezreel by this time tomorrow. Now the king's sons, 70 persons, were with great men of the city who were rearing them. So there's an outstanding issue. Ahab, has, Ahab is wicked. His wife, the queen Jezebel, she's wicked. So they're already, they're already deceased at this time. 
their kids and their grandkids are, are pretty bad people. I mean, God spared the Israelites by kind of taking out that line. And Jehu is in Jezreel, and he wants to attack Samaria and deal with Ahab's sons, but it's a walled city, which was very common back then, especially if it was the capital city. So, he, you know, you, you look at warfare before planes and bombers and parachuters, uh, paratroopers, parachuters as well. Uh, it was very hard to take a walled city. The Romans later came up with siege warfare and pretty interesting equipment to actually take a walled city, but this isn't Rome yet. Uh, but what happens is he comes up with this plan. You know, he wants to minimize loss of life on his side, so he tries to first really intimidate them into giving up. And he sends letters, not only to the city he's in, but also to the Samaria as well. And basically he says, you know, Ahab's got sons. Pick one of them, make him a king, bring him out. We'll fight to the death, and whoever wins gets the city. It was a very bold challenge, but that's the type of man that Jehu was. And he takes his mandate to re remove, to um, destroy the rest of Ahab's sons, very seriously. So the leaders confer with each other and they realize this guy's a force to be reckoned with. We know what he did to Jezebel, which she was very hard to remove. Uh, we know what he did to the north and southern kings. Um, it's really not worth fighting for Ahab's sons um, because people knew how wicked Ahab was, but he was the king. You know, he was hard to get to. He probably had people like Hitler had his SS, a lot of um, attempts on Hitler's life, but he was well insulated, and, and Ahab was as well. So now they're in a position to say, well, Ahab, Ahab's gone. We didn't really name a king, so how about we, we surrender? How about Jehu, you know, you come in peace, you know, we'll, we'll send the, the guys out to you. And, um, you know, when he says the heads, he may not necessarily literally mean their heads, but the heads could mean like the person, the head of the family or such. So you're going to find that Jehu is the king of doublespeak, and, and um, instead of just following what God says, he's, he really embellishes here. He, he's, he plays like a verbal judo with you. You know, this is the type of person he is. He, if, he, if he's going to fight, he'll fight, but he's also even in his words. So verse 7, we see that they took it literally, and so it was. When the letter came to them, they took the king's sons and slaughtered 70 persons, put their heads in baskets, and sent them to him at Jezreel, when a messenger came and told him, saying, They have brought the heads of the king's sons. And he said, Lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning, which would be the, the uh, entrance of Jezreel, which is where he was staying. So basically, um, you know, again, and this is the problem when we go and we say, I'm doing this for God. You know, if we're, if we're not serious or we're not really to the letter of the law. You look at even Moses, because Moses was disobedient. He couldn't even see the promised land. Um, but there's some that they just, well, this is from God. Well, a lot of it wasn't from God, and he, he set a really poor example. Uh, back then, and they do it today too, they would put heads and they would line them up at the city gates, and uh, that would bring fear to the people. Whoever did this, don't mess with them. Look what's going to happen to you. Um, again, not something God told them to do. But Ahab apparently had all these sons and grandsons, and his only idea was to make his name great, to last forever. You know, today people put, they donate a lot of money, and there's wings on a hospital or a university with your name if you have enough money to donate. 
Well, back then, you just continued to procreate, and he probably had many different women, so his name could just continue and continue. But look, um, Jehu's making that a thing of the past. Verse 9, we continue. So it was in the morning that he went out and stood and said to all the people, You are righteous. Indeed, I conspired against my master and killed him. But who killed all these? Know now that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. So Jehu killed all who remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel, and all his great men and all his close acquaintances and his priests until he left none remaining. So the remnants of Ahab in Jezreel, they're gone. He wipes them out, anybody even associated with Ahab. And again, I don't believe that God told him to do that either. But here's the interesting thing. He seems to distance himself from the killings. And, and you can see even how he told the leaders to send the, the, the heads to him and blah, blah, blah. Um, as you go through this, now he's almost distancing himself from what just happened. And, you know, he's the king of intimidation, doublespeak, um, pretending to be a, a nice guy. In a sense, he was saying, look at this. That wasn't me. I didn't do it. And technically, he's correct. You know, you ever meet people like that? They, their words are just, they just know they're, the, they're wordsmiths. They know how to say something to take away their guilt. And they could even be right, technically, but, you know, he was the one behind it. Uh, and when he says to the people, now remember, this would have brought fear to the people, and he's almost saying, oh, no, no, you're righteous, you're good people, don't worry, nothing's going to happen to you, you're not to blame for this, and I, I just killed my master, and, and I'm just following what the Lord said, but I didn't do this. So we got problems already. Now, if you look at um, Ahab's line, uh, Ahab and Jezebel, well, their line is being, is being wiped out. I wonder if Ahab considered this in his wickedness. You know, did he consider seeing that this would happen to his sons and grandsons? Terrible things. Um, and, you know, you got to ask, we have to ask ourselves too, you know, what's important to us in, in our lives, in our marriages? What's important regarding our kids and our grandkids? For Ahab, it was just to continue. He didn't care. He was wicked. He was heartless. You know, I, I think for me personally, my my legacy, I have one child, one son, and it, I don't pray every night that he just makes a million. Uh, that's not what I pray. I pray that he's godly. I've been praying that since I found out my wife was pregnant, you know, many years ago. Um, I, would, I would want my son and grandkids to leave a legacy of godliness, you know. I don't really care how much money they're making. I just want them to be godly and through that godliness find contentment and joy. You know, even David was a when he sinned, he sinned heavy, but he was repentant. His, his heart broke because he really had a heart after God. And David's line survived all the way to the Messiah. Ahab's line was cut off. It's better to be a David than it is certainly an, an Ahab. Verse 11, continuing, he says, or basically he, again, kills everybody. Um, anyone associated, did some innocent people get caught up in that? I'm sure. Um, and it was cloaked with God's will. You know, and the worst type of thing to do is to do something and then say it's for God. I mean, terrorists do that. It's for God, you know. God is great. Yeah, but they're going to find out real quickly after they do these horrible things and step into eternity that that wasn't for God. Um, some today, their attitude is, well, God wants me to be rich. And they can find a denomination and a teaching, some of them very popular, that can reinforce that. You know, I want what I want. I want to do what I want to do. 
and I want God to put his approval on it. And if not, I'm just going to deceive myself into thinking that he does approve of what I'm doing. You know, if I had a, a penny for in the last 25 years of hearing how many times somebody was doing something they shouldn't have done and said, well, the Lord told me, I'd be a very wealthy person. <laughs> but I'm sure, listen, you've been a Christian long enough, you've heard it as well. And I think it's really a stumbling block to those that are not believers um, to, you know, basically to just constantly justify with, well, God approves of everything I do. Again, if it's against Scripture, no, he doesn't. Continuing in verse 12, now, there's obviously a big difference between Jehu and, you know, I'm just making an application because this isn't something where we sit back and we look at history and go, oh, it doesn't affect me. No, it does affect us. Must might be on a much lesser scale, but there's definitely applications we can pull from this. And he arose and departed and went to Samaria. On the way, at Beth Eked of the shepherds, Jehu met with the brothers of Ahaziah, king of Judah, which he killed in the last chapter, Ahaziah. And said, Who are you? And they answered, We are the brothers of Ahaziah. We have come down to greet the son of the king and the sons of the queen mother. They don't know what happened yet. It's too late for that. Uh, they continue, And he said, Take them alive. So they took them alive and killed them at the well of Beth Echid, 42 men, and he left none of them. So now he runs into, between Jezreel and Samaria, he, which isn't that far, he runs into. Uh, you know, and you, you see, they would, have, they would have these roots. You know, they'd have these cities and walled cities, and they would have roots that, you know, people traveled, and, and you'd run into other travelers as you were going through this. So he runs into brothers of Ahaziah, and he kills them too. Uh, and I'm not really so sure he should have done that either. Were they stepbrothers? Did they have a different mother? You know, um, they were half of the line of Judah, you know, um, You've got to be careful with that one because the Messiah was supposed to come through that line. Of course, Christ's line survived any of these crazy things, uh, but should he have killed them? Um, they were unfortunate enough to mention the queen mother. Again, she, I, I, don't, I don't think the Bible specifies if they were half-brothers or whatever because it was very common for the kings to have multiple wives. So which wife were these guys a part of? Um, don't know. But if we go through the map, um, put the map up, and we can just leave it up there. And uh, you can see, um, actually, the, I probably should have chose one shorter and fatter. But basically, you have this area. Here's Jezreel, and Samaria is over here somewhere. Um, it's not that far. This is the whole northern kingdom. We can leave that up because I'm going to go through some other things as well. Some people like the maps, and <laughs> they like to follow the routes and stuff. So it's North, North Israel. I almost said North Jersey by, by accident. It's been a long day. I'm working out in the sun all day. Uh, but <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Nobody would have known what I was thinking. But we continue on. Verse 15. Now when he departed from there, he met Jehonabad, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, Is your heart right as my heart is towards your heart? And Jehonadab answered, It is. Jehu said, If it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand, and he took him up into the chariot. Then he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they had him ride in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to, to Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed them according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. So the last remnants of Ahab are destroyed in Samaria. And on the way, you know, again, he meets this guy, 
Jehonadab from the Rehabites. Now, just a little bit about the Rehabites. Um, they're a little bit mysterious people, but you can find information about them in the Bible. And basically, they were um, children of Israel by marriage. I mean, they married into the children of Israel. They actually were, they had great reputations. They lived a reclusive life. Um, even in Jeremiah 35, God commends the Rehabites while he chastises the children of Israel because they were actually more righteous than the, you know, God's people at the time. So what does he do? He finds somebody, oh, I, I know where this guy's from, and he's kind of a user. He's got a good reputation, so he pulls him up onto the chariot, and they're going to ride together so that when the people see, oh, Jehonadab's with him, you know? So he joins him, and he rides into Samaria, and he goes, see my zeal for the Lord. If you heard somebody say that today, that would be kind of weird and definitely prideful, certainly presumptuous on his part. Um, again, I'm doing everything for the Lord, so just come with me, you know, be quiet, support me, and whatever I do, just shake your head. And I think that um, Jehonadab, I don't think he realized the full ramifications of what was going on. Verse 18, we continue. Then Jehu gathered all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu will serve him much. Now Baal's a little demon god, and Jehu's lying again. <laughs> now therefore call to me, because he doesn't serve Baal, he actually serves somebody else. But now therefore call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants, all the priests, let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice to make to Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu acted deceptively with the intent of destroying the worshipers of Baal. And Jehu said, Proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. Then Jehu sent throughout all Israel, all the worshipers of Baal came, so that there was not a man who left who did not come. So they came into the temple of Baal, and the temple of Baal was full from one end to the other. And he said to the one in charge of the wardrobe, Bring out vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. So he brought out vestments, just to make sure that there were no non-Baal worshipers there. They would put on the vestments, and you know, sometimes you see this in cults. They put on certain things, so they all look alike, and like, you know, special clothing, investments, and so he wants to make sure he's going to kill all these people, but I don't want any non-Baal worshippers in there. Then Jehu and Jehonadab, the son of Rehab, went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshippers of Baal, search and see that no servants of the Lord are here with you, but only the worshippers of Baal. So they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had appointed for himself 80 men on the outside and had said, if any of the men whom I have brought into your hands escapes, whoever lets him escape, it shall be his life for the life of the other. Now it was so, as he had made the end of the offering, the burnt offering, that Jehu said to the guard and the captains, go in and kill them and let no one come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. Then the guards and the officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the temple of Baal. And they brought the sacred pillars out of the temple of Baal and burned them. Then they broke down the sacred pillar of Baal, tore down the temple of Baal and made it a refuse dump to this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. We're going to talk about maybe doing something that might be right, but doing it the wrong way. Okay, we'll talk about that before the end. But he goes through this very deceptive, hey, you know, I'm a Baal worshiper too, and I worship Baal even more than Ahab. And he lures these people in, and then he kills them. Again, he said, God said to wipe out Ahab's line and Jezebel, is Baal worship wrong? Absolutely. Could he have gone, gone about it a different way? Sure. Um, 
but he just seems now he's starting to lie about a lot of things. And you know, today you'll find people and maybe even false teachers and false ministries that they put a, a narrative together, they put the circumstances together, and they put associates together so that you believe what they're doing. You know, it's almost a way to convince you. I mean, I, I just say there's so much more freedom to just preach the word and do the right thing. You know, those that make up lies and make up more lies to cover the lies, um, that's a lot to maintain. It's just so easy to be transparent, you know. Um, again, the other way is just trying to maintain a facade. It's also wrong, morally wrong. Verse 29, However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, that is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. So he does have a chink in his armor. And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight, and you have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your son shall sit on the throne of Israel only to the fourth generation. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord of the God of Israel with all his heart, for he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam who made Israel sin. So the spiritual evaluation of Jehu, he's an odd man because he's a mixed bag. He started out doing the right thing. His beginnings were great. You know, I think about King Saul. His beginnings started great too. You know, and I think to myself, how do we finish? You know, the Apostle Paul talks about winning the race, finishing the race. As believers, how do we finish? Um, even some may even come up and make an emotional appeal to the Lord, but it doesn't last long. You know, their heart is not in it. You know, are they still serving the Lord in 10, 20 years? But God parses Jehu's life and legacy. On the one hand, Jehu brought incredible relief to the children of Israel, Israel by taking out Jezebel and by taking out the two kings. But on the other hand, Jehu trades Baal worship, which is, is evil, for calf worship. So it's like one cult for a lesser cult. It's kind of like it reminds me of the Christian who's uh, so against abortion, but when he or she goes home, they're a terrible spouse and a terrible parent, but they're against abortion. It's kind of like hypocritical, you know. Does God permeate, in general, the facets of our lives, or do we just need something to make ourselves look good and say, look, I'm, I'm against this or I'm for this, and God would be too? We have to look at that. I mean, after all, if you think about it, the calves, calf worship, was supposed to represent God. Remember in, um, where with Aaron, Moses' brother, Moses was on the mountain talking with the Lord, and the people were growing impatient. So Aaron partook. Aaron's supposed to be the priest. He partakes in taking the people's gold and melting it and fashioning it. And they had goldsmiths and stuff, and they made a golden calf. This is the God who brought you out of Egypt. Worship this God. You know what? Their intentions of worshiping God were right, but God was furious about, now they're worshiping a cow, they think God's a cow. People today worship animal gods too. Uh, they did it back then. You know, I, God is not tangible, so let me find something to represent him. That's dangerous. Baal was a little demon. So Jehu was good. He didn't worship Baal. But he did worship a cow that was supposed to be God. You know, you can see that, unfortunately, in some denominations. And f quite a few. Where they'll have statues and they'll kiss the statues and pray to the statues. And, well, this represents Jesus. I'm trying to do the right thing here. It's not the right thing. The Ten Commandments is right up there in the first few. 
don't make a graven image and bow down and worship it. You know, God is, we can't put anything in and pretend or represent God because he's so awesome. It's a, it's a very grave insult to the Lord. And people still do that. It's sad. And it's wrong. Verse 32. In those days the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel, and Haziel conquered them. Now Haziel is the king of Syria. We covered this uh, in previous chapters. He conquers them in all the territory of Israel, from the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh, from Aroer, which is by the river Arnon, including Gilead and Bashan. So, the political situation, when God's people were, and his leaders were wicked, um, he often used pagan neighbors to chastise them. And this is no different. You know, Jesus in the Gospels talked about the Romans, before it happened, destroying Jerusalem before, because of all the idolatry and the corruption. And sure enough, Jesus was right. And anything Jesus said always comes to pass. A.D. 70, that was the end. The walls came down. There's only a little piece of a wall left. The temple came down. The gold was looted. It was burned to the ground. Um, God would not allow his compromising people or a compromising king to succeed. There's an expression I love. It says, God does not allow us to sin successfully. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, you know, we, we could ask ourselves the same question. You know, sometimes we, we compromise and we, we fudge a little bit and we, we do things that we shouldn't do and... God doesn't allow us, allow us to be successful. And then we get frustrated and we think God's not answering our prayers or it's somebody's fault or it's my spouse's fault or my family's fault or my pastor's fault. Um, somebody's got to be a scapegoat because I can't look in the mirror. And that's a sad thing. When we compromise as God's people, he's going to allow us to be frustrated. Now there's, when we look at trials, and I covered that this in depth, there's so many different reasons that a person could be going through a trial, but sometimes it's just the person in the mirror. You know, the person who's always got drama surrounding their lives. Again, maybe they might be part of the problem. Maybe they are part of bringing that drama into their lives. Right? So listen, we're looking at a king and, and, and murders and all this kind of stuff, but God's truths are timeless. It doesn't matter who he's talking about. We can still pull something out for ourselves. Because what happens is when we do little things, and we feel like God's not looking or we're ignoring his chastening, then we move to medium things. Sometimes we move to big things. And then you find a Christian who's very well known and something really bad happens and you say, how could that be? Well, because it started with something really small. Like Casting Crown's video. I love that video, the slow fade. It doesn't just happen overnight. It's, it's compromise, little, compromise a little bit more, compromise, compromise, before you know you're... It, it's terrible, um, and it's sad, and it's, it's a slippery slope. 34. Now the rest of the acts, oh, you know what? Let me get my handy-dandy little, little laser thing out here. Um, so the half-tribe of Manasseh, here's the Jordan River, right? Manasseh, Gad, Gilead is, is next to that, or below Gad. And then the tribe of Reuben is down here. And this is a rower. And um, I think it's the Arnon River. A rower and the Arnon River is down here. So what happens is the Syrians, 
Aram is the ancient name for Syria. Syria is still Syria. Damascus is still Damascus. It's good stuff. Uh, basically, Haziel, the king of Syria, God uses him to chasten his people. And they, they route down south. And these people on the east side of the Jordan, they were on the fringes. Well, if you're a strategic person, military person, harass the people on the, on the borders. So that's what he does. And it causes all kinds of problems for the military and the king. And God was just not going to allow this to go down without some type of chastisement. Verse 34, last few verses. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu, all that he did and all his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehu rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. Then Jehoahaz, his son, reigned in his place. And the period that Jehu reigned over Israel and Samaria was 28 years. I, just, I love the historical books. I love details. You know, I, you know, it's just amazing stuff. But you, you look at the, the list of the kings, and in Israel, really none of them were good. Um, however, by comparison, Jehu was probably the best one. That's pretty sad. So at least he, he stamped out Baal worship and took out the evil leaders and give, gave the people some relief. But he, the Bible says he wasn't a good king. Um, and what's interesting as we look further into the scripture is God does not allow Jehu's bloodline. He has a few sons, and Zechariah, his last son, is, ends up getting murdered. And that cuts off the line of Jehu as far as taking the throne. And then a few kings after that, we know in 722 B.C. that the Assyrians came and raided the northern kingdom, and they dispossessed them, they expatriated them, and they pretty much took over, uh, and they never regained that. So... They lost their sovereignty. What can we say in closing about Jehu? Well, let's look at his, his mandate and let's look at his methods. Let's start with the mandate. First Kings 21 was very clear. This was the prophecy. And it was told to Ahab while he was alive that his posterity would be wiped out. God would make sh made sure that the line of Ahab was brought to an end. And I think Ahab's father and Ahab's grandfather were awful people as well. So he kind of cuts that off. Now, and I just say this because I remember last time I taught, these are the two justice chapters, and then we start moving on to different parcels of history. But um, I just talk, took an informal poll and just talked to people afterwards and what they thought. And uh, I think the problem is, in our culture, we're desensitized to justice. Um, we see justice, and we sometimes don't like what it looks like. You know, some have this thing that if you're a Christian, you can't believe in the death penalty. Well, I submit to you Romans 13 in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul. Again, that's a denominational thing. And guess what? When God sits on that great white throne and people come before him, he's going to judge many of them. Some of them are going to hell. They're going to go to the lake of fire. In American culture, we have a problem with this because we're so desensitized against it, whether it be the death penalty or giving terrorists endless rights and being afraid to put a hose over them and make them talk and tell us where the bombs are. And they call that torture. It's not. There's no lasting effects from it. But that's why our culture has such a problem with God because we've been brainwashed in this culture to believe certain things. You know, justice will be served. And you, you see, you know, murderers and serial killers, you know, some of them, they get off on a technicality. That's not justice. It's wrong. But you know what? No one is going to escape God's justice. The beautiful thing about Christianity, it's not a closed group. 
anybody can be a Christian, is that the justice for our sins was already paid for on the cross. That's the beautiful thing. So when, when God says, and, and the books are opened up, and the thrones are sat in, and everybody stands before him, thank God for believers, yeah, I'm guilty. I'm guilty as charged. But Christ stood in and took my justice on that cross, thereby giving me mercy and grace. That's amazing. Only God can do something like that. You know, I think of the, the illusionists who take like the red, the red handkerchief and they, they put it in their hand and it becomes white. Well, there's a, I tell you, some people use that, I think Pastor Vinny has, um, that illusion to express the gospel. My, my blood-red sins or my, my horrible sins, Christ's blood mixed with them, you pull out the handkerchief, somehow I become pure white. That's impressive. Only Christ can do that. We continue. What about Jehu's methods? Well, on the one hand, he rooted out idol worship of Baal. Um, however, he didn't go far enough in his own life. Very hypocritical. Oh, those people are bad. Oh, but I'm worshiping calves on the side. You know what I'm saying? So he doesn't go far enough. He was delinquent. On the other hand, with the killings, he went too far. He showed no restraint to satisfy his bloodlust. And Hosea, the prophet, 1-4, addresses, God addresses those killings and said he's going to deal with that. You can read that in Hosea 1-4. Jehu, you know, when somebody says that they're serving God, they need to somewhat, not perfectly, reflect the character of God. And that's why in Christ, when we are truly in Christ, our co-workers, family, friends, they see Jesus in us if we're doing the right thing, if we're living that type of life. Well, in the Old Testament, Jehu had a mandate from God, but he didn't reflect God. God's not a manipulator like Jehu was. God's not a liar. God's not a doublespeak. Um, you know, so this was Jehu. The worst thing is when he took his will and put a cloak over it saying, well, it's God's will. That's probably, I think, one of the worst things to do. Now, again, we can look at this on a lesser scale. And I can I tell you something? Probably in 25 years, I might have said this a few times. Well, God told me, well, I prayed about it. And, and really, in hindsight, I look back and go, yeah, that wasn't from God, you know. And we have to be careful. When we represent the Lord, it's a bad witness if we, just so that people leave us alone and don't hold us accountable, that we say, oh, God told me. And somebody's saying, God told me, God told me all the time. The Holy Spirit told me. Wow, you must have a direct line. Like, you know, I woke up this morning, the Holy Spirit said to wear green instead of blue. No, really, it probably didn't. He probably didn't. Um, God really don't think cares about our color choices, but... I'm pretty sure that um, no one listening here is going to become like Jehu. However, there are some good applications. And I would say this in closing, that if we're going to use God's name, because sometimes we do, and sometimes we do hear clearly from God, and sometimes it's confirmed through his word and prayer and other people, and that's an awesome thing. That's a great testimony. I'm not saying not to do that. But if we are going to use God's name to confirm our actions, then our actions must conform to his word. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields 
by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.